This podcast episode is brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network, where you get your healthcare insights from the most inspiring healthcare podcasters. Hey, everybody. It's Rich Press from the Sunpray Health Podcast. Excited to be with you all today and excited to introduce our special guest for today, Eric Bufkin, who is the uh, president and CEO of eTech RX. I actually had the pleasure of meeting Eric back in a, in a former role of mine and uh, helping uh, him and uh, a former colleague of his work on the, the plans for uh, getting eTech out into the world. And uh, it's a very exciting piece of technology. And uh, Eric's been working on it for a while. And uh, I'm excited for this conversation today. So uh, uh, welcome, Eric, and uh, love for you to do a little intro about yourself for, for the audience. Well, well, thanks very much, Rich. It is great to get connected with you again. I, it doesn't seem like it's been a couple of years since we were working together on, on eTech RX and, and you were helping me and Harry out. So appreciate you inviting me along. It, uh, it's a great honor to be included. So, uh, so yeah, I'm a, a founder, a president CEO of eTech RX. Uh, we are a, a digital health company. Uh, we we're the leader in ingestible sensors for tracking medication adherence for, for clinical research or for clinical care. It is, uh, it is a, uh, a great opportunity uh, to be here and talk with you at Semper Health. Hope I can add a, a lot of interesting and maybe a few entertaining uh, parts to the conversation. No, thank you so much. Yeah, no, I think we're both very passionate about uh, patient adherence and uh, trying to help patients uh, actually be successful with their uh, therapeutic journeys. Well, let's uh, let's start maybe a little bit more diving into the life story. I, life often takes amazing turns. I'm, I'm curious what your dream career was when you were growing up. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting. I was uh, I was on vacation uh, actually last week with. Mm-hmm. Uh, some friends and some of my kids and we were having a conversation and, and just thinking about the idea of a dream career when I was a kid, mm-hmm. we actually started a conversation around that. And one of the things we realized that when we were kids, I'm not sure there was this idea of having your career thought about when you're 14 mm-hmm. or 12 or so I, I guess when I think of it uh, back that far, didn't actually have a dream career, but uh, I had a, my grandfather who was a great man. He was a farmer, very successful farmer. Mm-hmm. My dad was a, uh, he worked for the federal government as a, in, in computer science. Mm. And so I think those are the two forces that kind of shaped me of not necessarily wanting to work for somebody all the time. Mm-hmm. So I've been an entrepreneur a long time, but really being enamored and, and really being moved by what you can do with technology when you apply it right. So mm-hmm. I think those were the forces that shaped me rather than saying, Hey, I'm going to be the next great engineer or the great next great musician or the great next great whatever yeah i don't think that was me i don't think that was me it was more along right. the lines of, of of the forces that shaped me or uh growing up in florida i guess the other one would be to be an astronaut right that's uh well yeah <laughs> th- yeah 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 there was some of that okay you're watching those big saturn fives take off from time uh, yeah. to time and uh you know watching the other one uh, i i grew up in the uh, the Panhandle of Florida near Eglin Air Force Base, mm-hmm. uh, where my dad worked, and uh, and watching the watching the fighter jets fly over, you know, oh, yeah. uh, in, the, in the 60s and 70s, it was, you know, it was really thrilling to see some of those guys go whizzing by. But uh, 
yeah, decided that wasn't for me somewhere along the way. And, uh, you know, Top Gun wasn't going to be me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've been down to Pensacola and watched those Blue Angels homecoming shows, and they're just amazing when they buzz the sure. crowd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Very great. cool. Very cool. You know, looking over your, your long and distinguished career here, what uh, what would you say is your favorite role over over the years? What What have you really enjoyed doing the most? Yeah. The, um, so I've had the I've had the good fortune, great fortune, to work with some really uh, fantastic mentors and, and colleagues along the way. I've started companies in microchips and technology. Uh, this uh, this venture into health technology, quite frankly, I didn't know. I, I, had I known now what I know, had known then what I know, yep. still done it, but I would have had a lot different of, of what it takes to start a health technology company versus a technology company. And and my favorite part, you know, there's uh, several companies I've had great times and really enjoyed, but my favorite part is that time from the say, hey, I see a new opportunity and I have the tools to go make make something of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's kind of that startup phase when you're, you know, when you got, you, you co-founders, early team, and you're just, you know, doing whatever it takes to realize the use case and realize the technology and getting to that point where, hey, we're cranking up uh, and, and getting going. Very interesting. And and so when you think about, you know, I think it's so amazing to be able to bring ideas into reality. So when you sort of think about the future and what, if you could be remembered for sort of one thing, what what would you like that to be? Well, so I'm assuming because this is a professional podcast, <laughs> semi-professional podcast, Rich, that uh, uh, things like being remembered for a dad and husband, that's really, those are not the ones we're looking for. Because that would be my, you know, number one is, you know, make sure I'm remembered as the right dad, right husband. But I guess from a standpoint of being remembered, I I like to be remembered as somebody who was, you know, compassionate to the people I was working mm-hmm. with, thoughtful mm-hmm. to the people I was working with, and being able to make the decisions that people are un- maybe uncomfortable to make. Those are the same things rather than, you know, specific roles starting this company or mm-hmm. that company. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be remembered for the characteristics I brought to all of them, I guess, would be my, be my goal. No, I love that. I'm a, I'm a great follower of uh, stoic philosophy, much like uh, Harry Travis as well. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I think we're all uh, on the same page there that yep. being of good character is the, the, the best thing that you can do and if great outcomes come from that even even better but that's really the cherry on top it's uh yes it's yep. being the best you can day to day that that really matters very cool I agree there now uh to switch into u.s healthcare what what do you think is something that most people don't understand about u.s healthcare i mean it's obviously a very complex uh area yeah 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 once again we we only got you know a little while on this podcast so yeah, yeah I'll, uh, I'll i'll try and you know the uh, I I think the thing that would be most helpful in U.S. healthcare mm. is that if people could understand the cost of things mm. you know, right now, you know, and and this is not an indictment or system. We provide great care. I mean, everybody's got their opinions, but at the end of the day, if you need care in this country, you can get it. But very few other markets where you you buy where you pay somebody for something, somebody else delivers it to you. And you're not really involved in the cost of the transaction between, you know, what the cost of the provider and the, the payment to the to the payer is. Um, mm. And and in some cases, that's great. You know, it helps manage uh, your your individual costs. But it, in my opinion, it kind of numbs you or gives you a distorted view of what are the what are the real costs associated with providing and receiving care. 
And I think if people understood that, we might see different behaviors among many patients, uh, as well as many providers and many payers too. But I think that would, to me, that's a big deal. I, I'm with you 100%. I think there are so many, there's so, such a lack of transparency. I mean, I think it's exciting to see some of the the recent improvements in transparency and, and some of the data that's coming out, of course, is a little bit yes. disturbing, but yeah. uh, I think it's it's showing the value of that transparency because it's it's helping us to understand that if you can't see what the prices and costs are, then it's very difficult to um, be be comfortable that everybody's acting uh, in a reasonable way. And so I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, I'm, I'm generally uh, you know, an entrepreneur and a, and a free market mm. capitalist kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But I don't think in a topic like healthcare, the pure free market works. There's it's too much, you know, there's, there's too many people that get marginalized that way. But on the other hand, I think in, inviting a single payer uh, approach just creates more opaqueness and mm-hmm. more and more inefficiency. So you know, we got to find that Goldilocks era and area. And I think information and knowledge has got to be one of the big ingredients there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's right. If we could at least understand, <laughs> understand mm-hmm. the cost, that would be a good place to start. Yes. Agreed. And uh, I think uh, that would then help us to know, uh, you know, the the areas to really focus on for reducing costs and improving efficiencies. Uh, Right, right, right. So in your current role heading up eTech, what do you see as the most important focus areas? Oh, what I probably spend the most time. So with any small company, any startup company, making sure we have money in the bank is always, Mm. you know, job number one so mm-hmm. i'm going to kind of i'm going to kind of throw that out that's table stakes any ceo right. is not doing that mm-hmm. uh, probably is not going to be ceo for very long so uh we'll just we'll put that but in terms of the the, the things that require the you know the the thought and the and the collaboration making sure the especially in this early stage we're in and, and we're a, we're a 10 year old company mm-hmm. um so we're not a young company but uh, the evolution of this technology and use cases has been such that making sure we have the right product with the right capabilities and we're and we're putting it in the right use cases. That's a big, big part of what I do every day with my developers and my business development team. Mm-hmm. And just just a it that's where that's where the real rubber really hits the road to me because it's it helps drive the technology, it helps drive the business. And that's what really helps the patient. So that's the uh, the part that I feel like we get the most value when I'm spending my time doing that. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And so, what have what have you seen as the main challenges for introducing an innovation like eTech into the into the marketplace? I think uh, you know it's it's probably helpful just to give people a little bit of a quick explanation yeah. of what eTech is. And then, yeah, uh, I think yeah. that's great. Uh, so. So eTech, uh, we we create we have a system. It's called IDCAP. It's an FDA cleared mm-hmm. system that uses ingestible sensors. It, uh, think of a think of a capsule, just like you get your medicine or your vitamins in every day. Pharmaceutical grade capsule. And so this capsule has an ingestible sensor embedded into it, and your pharmacist or your drug manufacturer can use these capsules to encapsulate an existing uh, tablet or another capsule. When the patient takes each dose of their medicine, uh, that ingestible sensor is powered up 
by the the, the patient's stomach acid. Mm, Cre- it creates, yeah, it creates a small, very low power wireless signal. Think of it as a tiny little text message coming from inside your belly, and it uh, it's now that message is a uh, is picked up by a device we have cleverly branded the reader. <laughs> <laughs> the reader. Uh, then talks Bluetooth to your, to your to an app on your phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, your phone forwards it back to our database in the cloud. Within about five or six minutes of a patient taking a dose, we actually have a record in the cloud that we can share back with the with the uh, care provider, with the patient's mom, with, the, with with whomever, with the patient themselves. So the whole goal here is to create a real time kind of feedback loop that mm-hmm. says, "Hey, I took my meds. Mm-hmm. I know when I took them." And it provide that data in context with the other elements of the care team so that the patient realizes, hey, I'm taking my medicine, I'm getting better. And and I'll say up front, this is a it's a powerful technology. It's not for every drug. It's mm-hmm. not for every patient. Uh, medication, I, 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 I resist the temptation here, Rich, to go into the whole song and dance about medication adherence and this mm-hmm. $300 billion problem. And mm-hmm. there is more articles written about it because it is a real problem. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a big problem made up of lots of small pieces. Yep. And finding the right piece and that collection of right pieces where we can apply the right technology can make really outsized benefits. And that's what, that's what we're trying to do. We're working with folks in clinical research, mm-hmm. uh, both at the academic and at the commercial level. We're working with folks that are uh, doing actual care in areas, HIV, HIV prep, oncology, to apply this to day-to-day care. There's some new, there's some new programs coming out of CMS. I'll talk about you now when we get, you know, as we go along later that we're really excited mm-hmm. about. But we're finding now that this technology is finding some great use cases for those patients when other things simply aren't good enough, and and. And that's kind of how we position the company. You know, we're not we're not going to position Etex ingestible sensor as a as an alternative to a carefully written app that's going to remind somebody to take a daily metformin, mm. unless there's really extenuating circumstances for that patient. But if it's a very expensive drug with very dire consequences of non-adherence, like I said, think of things like oncology, maybe some TB drug, things like that. Now we're in an area where or the technology we have and the use case match up very well. And that's where we're focused. Yeah, I think that's that's really insightful, right? That you you, you have this amazing technology and, and the first thought is, well, why wouldn't everybody want to do this? And then as you start to dig into it, you realize, oh, okay, we've got to find those very specific use cases where this is a really good fit. And that's yeah. that's the path to adoption and scaling this is is, is is finding where you can those spots where you can be successful and grow from yeah the the other thing is kind of interesting and and yeah. and having when well, we've had hundreds of patients tens of thousands of of sensors ingested and it's one of the things that's always gratifying and amazingly we had a we had a patient in a clinical trial uh can't obviously say much about it, but mm. uh in a particular trial that when when the researcher interviewed him following about two months on the technology, he was extremely grateful to us mm. for providing this to him. He said, this is great. I, I was having trouble staying with meds. I didn't know. I had no idea what my patterns looked like. I would love to have this going forward. And it was, and, and it was just gratifying as a technology developer and as an entrepreneur 
even to have one patient come back and, and give you that feedback. It, um, I, and you know, that sounds a little maudlin, I suppose, Rich, but it was really, it was really moving when we, uh, we got that, that kind of feedback from the patient. Oh, I totally understand. We have these amazing, we actually have a Slack channel called Patient Love, and we get these messages coming in from patients every day telling us about how it's made a difference in their lives. And just, I, I think it it really is touching, you know, as a, as a technologist, as an entrepreneur, when you actually get that feedback from, you know, actual patients and actual people that you've helped to know that you're making a difference in people's lives is, is as you say, really touching. So, uh, yes totally understand and get that oh that's that's very rewarding so i think you you hinted a little bit about cms i'm kind of curious about key trends and developments regulations you're watching Uh, and 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 what impact you think they could have yeah well that's a uh, so i'll yeah i'll just go jump right into that one of the Mm -hmm. um cms uh, has been over the past few years looking at how do they leverage digital technology remote monitoring you know Everybody knows what the pandemic did for telemedicine, remote monitoring, and and it you know it created such great opportunity in such a short period of time. Is there's just just this frenzy of, of things going on. One of the new programs we're very excited about that they actually introduced in a limited way in, in at the end of last year, mm. and they're actually uh, looking at uh, uh, updating some of the rules this year. Is what's called remote ther- remote therapy monitoring, which mm. is an opportunity as opposed to monitoring physiological signals, which they've had a program, a program going on for some time called RPM, they now have this remote therapy monitoring opportunity, which provides the opportunity for patients with certain disease states to monitor, is a patient doing their physical therapy? Are they doing their occupation? Are they staying on their medication therapy? Mm. This is an area that's extremely exciting for us for obvious reasons, because we think medication therapy is such a huge part of some of these key disease states. Um, and we're, we're working with a couple of, of large practices to implement some pilots right now along that lines. And uh, we're very carefully watching. We're encouraging CMS to say, hey, this is a great program. We need, mm. to, we need to appropriately expand it so that the patients can get the most use from their pharmacists, from the most use from their physical and occupational therapists as well as their traditional caregivers. Oh, that's great. So this essentially providing a new reimbursement pathway with reimburse with remote therapy management opens Absolutely. up this opportunity to sort of encourage the use of uh of e-tech technology in in uh in those remote uh models and uh and yeah. sort of provides yeah. a pathway to reimbursement. So that's that's very cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we're very excited about that. Yeah, so I remember this um, fascinating thing when I was working with you guys that the when you looked at clinical trials, which is a huge expense for pharmaceutical manufacturers, that uh, they built into the clinical trial enrollment process, which, and obviously one of the biggest challenges they've had is getting patients enrolled in these trials. And mm-hmm. they built in an adherence assumption that is based on prior history, which is often sort of around 60, 65%. And right, I've always right. wondered with your technology whether if you could actually build in an adherence assumption of ninety or ninety five percent, that would potentially reduce the number of folks that you would need to enroll in a trial, which could massively reduce their cost. So I'm sort of curious whether any of that has has emerged as that other potential opportunity for you guys. Well, so I, I would say the your your recollection is is accurate. I mean, that's you know. 
what you described there, Rich, is is really a big part of the math of clinical research. Mm-hmm. In, in our experience today, you hit the nail on the head and that especially going through the pandemic, pandemic really threw a monkey wrench into a lot of the conduct mm. of clinical research. Right. Even in some academic studies we've been working with, the uh, studies were halted, they were paused. I mean, people couldn't visit the clinic. So you see mm-hmm. it, you see it, you see in what almost would be a, a renaissance in how studies are architected to take advantage of technologies to allow you to re- recruit people remotely, monitor people remotely, and so the so when we started the company, your mm-hmm. assumption was dead on. That was our that was our value proposition. It mm-hmm. was, hey, you can enroll twenty percent less patients and save a boatload of money. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and people you know acknowledge that, but to now it's I got to be able to monitor my patients. Mm-hmm. And so the ability if you're gonna if you're gonna monitor somebody's physiological vital signs or mm-hmm. or create new digital biomarkers that you want to monitor remotely, you're going to need to be able to monitor where they're actually on their meds or taking their meds remotely right. as well. So so that dovetails very nicely with what we're doing. And uh, we're trying to participate and collaborate with the other folks in the industry that are, that are moving this whole distributed clinical trials and remote monitoring along. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but you can still save money if people adhere better. You don't have to enroll as many people. That is still a definite, definite uh, a fact there. So, well, it it does sound like you've got a a number of uh, opportunities out there that you're you're working on, and it's, it it sounds like uh, you know there's definitely some some good signs that there's there's interest in yeah. It, in, in, yeah. What one of the things that's challenging as a young company is not to starve while standing in front of the buffet table. You know, <laughs> you want to make sure that you pick something and you go after it, not stand there and decide, no, let's go after that one too. And that one too. Yeah. So that's a big risk for a small company. Yeah. So. That's, that is great advice. Any um, other recommendations you'd have for, for folks thinking about uh, getting, getting started in, uh, in life sciences or healthcare? Would, it, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, so uh, I may have mentioned or alluded earlier. You know, most of my previous companies have been in technology. Um, you know, new microchips, new communications, things that you know where you create the technology, you design it a product, and you go sell it. You mm-hmm. know, the the regulatory payment model. I mean, it's healthcare is a very different market. Mm-hmm. It's a rewarding market. I mean, they're, they're the reward of actually helping people be healthier and and, and so those are things you get that. You know, you may not get it. You create another great consumer product. Um, right. But the thing I would I would uh, advise, I, don't call, I won't say caution, but I will say advise. <laughs> make sure you have commitment and make sure you have patience. Mm. And entrepreneurs, including myself, are not known as hallmarks of patience. Mm. But for for this market to go through all and 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 I'm, I come at this a little bit. You know, we. We're making a, a device. We're making a medical device. We're cleared by the FDA as a medical device. So mm-hmm. that's a little bit different than making a piece of software or mm-hmm. a PHRB. So there, there are some considerations there. But but have commitment. Be patient. And, um, you know, make sure also make sure your life partner, whether that's a wife, or, you know, a domestic partner, whomever, make sure they're patient and committed too. just just <laughs> as a side note. There. OK, domestic I, tranquility I, is important. Oh, uh, Totally. 
And I think that's that's the patience is great advice. I think what do they there was some number like it's on average it takes 17 years to introduce a new piece of technology into healthcare. And uh and so um <laughs> Rich, Rich, you know you know who our investors are. You don't need to you don't need to say that out loud. But <laughs> But given that, we're a long way down that path, okay? Yeah, we're a yeah. long way down that path. Well, okay. I, it's funny too, right? Because I, I just finished reading How to Lie with Statistics. And of course, it talks about the the, the, the grand problem with averages, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you include yeah. examples like the stethoscope and washing your hands into those, <laughs> then yeah. It, yeah. Can, uh, it can wildly skew the number. But yeah. uh, I think, you know, the real point there is is it does it does take time and 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 whether that's getting uh, approval from a government authority or whether that's actually just getting people to adopt and use to find that use case and get people to adopt and use it it, yeah. it can take a while and, and you and you hit the nail there the biggest thing in all seriousness uh, rich mm. if you are going to pursue a startup in health tech or or health mm. make sure you identify who that what that use case is mm. who is meaningful to uh, because when you go to fund this, unless you're funding this out of your own pocket or grants or whatever, which are all good ways, by the way, don't get me wrong. Investors, especially today, are being much more selective about what gets funded, how mm-hmm. much. And, you know, if if an investor is looking at, I can put money into three software startups and within a year know if I've got a, a winner versus mm-hmm. I'm going to fund a health tech startup or a device startup. And it's going to be five years before I know if it works on a patient. That's a very meaningful consideration. So, you know, it uh, bear that in mind. Bear that in mind. Excellent advice. Excellent. Just a, a, a fun little quick question on uh, yeah. any books you or podcasts that you've um, you know, you'd recommend to to folks that you've enjoyed recently. Yeah, that's a that's, that's a great question. So, uh, boy. I'm going to keep it professional here. Okay. So uh, there's, sure. I've been listening to a number of different podcasts. My daughter's mm. introduced me to some very entertaining podcasts. So we'll try and stay, <laughs> we'll try and stay professional. And I'll, I'll go a little old school here in that uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a advisor and mentor uh, at the university of Florida for their startup ecosystem mm-hmm. uh, for companies coming out. And there's two books I, I recommend to every one of the new CEOs I read. One of them is by a gentleman named Guy Kawasaki. He was uh, one of the mm. uh, original early uh, uh, guys at Apple. He has a book called The Art of the Start. Yes. And it's a very easy read, very simple read, but it really, it, it gives you a tempo for thinking about how do I present my company to somebody I want to have invest? Mm-hmm. And he's got a really simple, straightforward way to do that. And, and I always recommend that. The other one is a book by a guy named Jerry Weissman called The Art of the... Uh, um, Presenting to Win, The Art mm. of Storytelling. Okay, it's called Presenting to Win. Jerry Weissman uh, was a uh, uh, a screenwriter in, mm. the, in the 80s, and he got hired by some of the large VC firms to help CEOs of people like Compaq and Cisco go from telling you about, you know, megahertz and, and you know, technical jargon mm-hmm. to how do you tell a story about a very technical product that an investor can understand and appreciate. Mm. And so, so, I, and so when I say that, I, as you might guess, coming to the university, I deal with a lot of scientific startups. So it's a it's a big um, a big recommendation for me to them to to just think of this as a storytelling. And Jerry Weissman does a great job of of articulating that. Oh, those are two great recommendations. I uh, 
I have Guy's book on the shelf, and uh, I was actually just talking about his guidelines for presentations yeah. uh, with the yeah. team the other day as they yeah. tried to present, uh, I think, 10-point font, and I said, you know, some of us can't read that font anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My uh, my example there is my greatest accessory for my Apple Watch are my yeah. reading glasses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, yeah. But I, I will have to uh, check out the art of storytelling. That sounds, yeah. sounds good as well. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, Eric, um, if folks want to connect with you, where is the best place for them to find and uh, find you and do that? So, so uh, um, I am not the most active social media guy. I've spent mm-hmm. a lot of time on LinkedIn, so you mm-hmm. can look me up on LinkedIn. You can drop me a line at uh, at my email at etechrx. I'm you know happy to uh, you know if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'll I'll share that back to you. Um, and uh, or Give my friend Rich Press a call, and he'll uh, he'll point you in my direction. <laughs> Either one of those will work. Great. Well, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to to chat with us this morning, and and to everyone out there in the audience, uh, I hope you uh, found this an enjoyable conversation and and got something out of it. Uh, I think uh, Eric has lots to share from his many years in the industry, and uh, yeah, really appreciate him making the time to to share some of those insights with us. So, thank you, yeah. Eric. Yeah. I appreciate it greatly, Rich. It's been a delight. Uh, I look forward to us you know, connecting up again and uh, going to get in trouble somewhere together. Uh, that, that would be fun. Uh, All right. Well, thank you. This episode was brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and let us know what you're looking for.